RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Kirian, and this is part two of our bonus episode series where I uh, get some creators of some indie RPGs on the old Skype. We talk about creative processes and what goes into making a indie game and just sort of where some of these creators are coming from, where they're going. These are supposed to be a little Thanksgiving present to you, but like all presents from your sauced-up RPG plan, Uncle Brendan, this one's late, so I guess it's now an early Christmas present? I don't know, whatever. Anyway, this is part two. Uh, we got Avenger Satanus on, talking about uh, Blood Dark Thirst, which is his newest game, and he talks a little bit about some of his other stuff, too. On this one is not what you'd call super great. It's not. It's not our best recording ever. Uh, you just kind of have to bear with us. Avenger and I worked really hard to make a workaround that uh, we could just get to function, so we could do the interview. So, hope you guys enjoy it. Without any further ado, Avenger Satanus. So, so thank you for being on the show. I do appreciate you taking the time and making the effort to be on the show with us today. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um. So you were just at uh at Game Hole Con, is that right? Yes. And and what uh, I and think what what is Game Hole Con like? Um it's I'm trying to remember the old Gen Con convention. It uh, wasn't even, even when it was back in Milwaukee, which is when I used to go every year. Um it really wasn't like that so much because uh, I think Gen Con just has like a bunch of other stuff. I remember walking around like art galleries and the um, the dealer's room was just like so enormous. Um, the Game Hole Con has, has some cool things. Uh, it's mostly a role-playing game convention. Okay. There's other things too, like card games and board games. Um, I think this was the fifth one, and it sprung out of Madison, Wisconsin, which is basically my backyard, uh, my hometown for at least working. I live in temporary work in Madison, so it's really a stone throw away. And um, I couldn't go last year because my twins were almost on the verge of being born. They were born at the end of November. And my wife was just too pregnant, especially with twins. I mean, it's ridiculous. She was measuring like 50 weeks by then or something. Oh, goodness. No, she was like as big as a house, in her own words. And uh, so I really, you know, she was pretty much on bed rest. So I was like, I had to be home, like doing stuff. I felt really bad. I let everybody know ahead of time, like, not going to be able to run games, you know, unless there's a miracle, I can't go. And I couldn't. And so then this year, I was glad to go, but I only went for one day. 
because um, we have five kids now, and my wife's parents were willing to help out Saturday, which is great. But I had to work on Friday and Sunday. You know, I had to do stuff with the family. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, the older we get, the more uh, we have to dedicate time to the job and to the family, huh? I mean, it, it ain't like it used to be yeah. when you could just spend all weekend role-playing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you're younger, and when I think when you're much, much older, yeah, you got lots of free time. Um, but in that middle period of the 30s and 40s, it's, yeah, it's all about the, the job and the family the wife and kids, and you, you struggle to get as much game time or much free time in as possible. So, so um, could you just take a second and kind of catch some of our listeners who might not be aware of your reputation uh, up on um, just kind of like who you are in the scene and sort of like some of your bona fides? Like, like uh, what is it that you're known for right now? Sure. Um, ooh, what I'm known for right now are um, Alpha Blue might be the most widely known thing. Um, when I started out, it was more hardcore OSR, old school Renaissance type stuff. Um, I came up with stuff like adventures and campaign settings and things like that that were specifically geared towards the D&D retro clone knockoff, that type of scene. Um, but then I kind of wanted to branch out a little bit and do something kind of different with it. So I came up with the VS uh, D6 system, which is basically just the old school Renaissance, but with D6 dice pools instead of the D20. So there's a lot of similarities there. There's, you know, still health or hit points, armor, armor class, um, you know, there's like a saving throw and, and things like that. But it's, you know, it's different enough where it feels like my own thing and um, I like that. Uh, but yeah, Alpha Blue, because it goes so deeply into sexual and sleazy and exploitation grindhouse kind of themes um, that made a big splash because, you know, sex sells and people pay attention to something that's different and possibly horrible or repugnant to them or <laughs> loathsome or, or whatever. Uh, you know, sometimes when you mix sex or sleaze with a role-playing game, um people get all up in arms or, you know, or not, you know, it just depends. But yeah, a lot of people have heard of Alpha Blue, I think. It was banned or blacklisted from uh, drive through RPG for like three days, two or three days. And so that created kind of a minor uproar. What Was that during that period when they kind of like changed their... Um their guidelines and I think I think James Ragey sent something out and he was like hey look guys we might be getting banned here real quick it was shortly after that I, there was a yeah there was a heightened like oh shit like what's going on period and then that 
kind of died down. Everybody kind of chilled out, and everybody thought, oh, we're all safe. Everything's fine. <laughs> and then kind of out of the blue, no pun intended, um, I get this email that Alpha Blue is, you know, people reported it as offensive. And it's being taken down for review, and then after the review, that will decide its fate. If it remains blacklisted, um, or if it gets whitelisted, which means that it's been deemed fine or good enough uh, for them to sell it on their site. And after a couple of days, uh, I talked with the owner um, of the one bookshelf. And while he said that he and his employees read it and they found some things that were possibly offensive to some people, it wasn't obscene or it wasn't, uh, my offenses weren't uh, grievous or egregious enough to warrant uh, keeping it off their site. So it got whitelisted and put back on the, sh- the virtual shelves. And uh, so it was a big deal for like a couple of days. Um, but then when things went back to normal, but, you know, Alpha Bloom had made the headlines for that week because a lot of people were protesting it being taken down, uh, you know, cries of censorship and... Uh, like that bullshit, you know. I some people were like agreeing with one bookshelf or agreeing with the people that were trying to get it taken down. They were like, "Screw that guy, Benjer, he sucks, and this stuff was just asinine or puerile or whatever." And uh, you know, you had both sides. Well, there's no such thing as bad press, right? Right. So yeah, because of the controversy, I think. Alpha Blue went up a notch or two on people's radars because, you know, they've heard of it because of that. But today, I have asked you to come onto the show and talk specifically about Blood Dark Thirst, which is, like, your newest complete game. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... I don't know which game... So Crimson Dragon Player came first because I was like, I want to make my own OSR like retro clone. Uh, but I wanted to do it different enough where it didn't feel like all the other ones. And so that's kind of where BSD6 came about. And then I can't remember either Alpha Blue or the Outer Presence came. And then the other one, then the third one. Whatever. I don't know. Don't remember the order. Um, but I haven't done anything like that in a while, like at least probably a year and a half. So yeah, this is the fourth complete quote-unquote game. It's not very long. It's like 23 pages or something like that. So it's it's very brief, very rules-like. Yeah, yeah, it's quick. It's a very quick read. It's almost like a little booklet or an extremely long pamphlet. (laughs) Um. So, uh, kind of tell us about where the idea came from and uh, what inspired you to to create this game. I mean, wh- how about this? Why don't you introduce it to uh, to our listeners first, and then tell us uh, what what uh, inspired you to create it? Is that okay? Um, well, it's uh, it's a vampire game where you play the vampire, um, and 
I mean, it was very heavily inspired by Vampire the Masquerade, which I think a lot of us played in the 90s. Um, I know I did. I remember in 1991 going to Gen Con, discovering Vampire the Masquerade, buying it, um, talking to the, the people there from White Wolf, and even playing like an hour's worth of a, of a demo game. Um, run by uh, Mark Reinhagen. Nice. What was that yeah. like? What and, was that experience um, like? Um, it was pretty cool. I mean, I was I was young enough where uh, my friend and I went, but my parents drove us <laughs> to Gen Con, and oh, we had a specific. This is before cell phones, obviously, since 1991. Yeah. So it was a specific time that I told my parents that we'd meet them, so then we could get you know a ride back to Sun Prairie where we both live. Um, so, you know, the, the demo game probably started at like one. And then I told my parents like, Oh, oh. we'll be there. Like, you know, two thirty at, at such and such a rendezvous point. And so we played for a while, like an hour, maybe hour and 15 minutes. And then I was like, Oh crap. Uh, we've got to go. I really wanted to keep playing and, um, I remember, uh, I remember it being cool, you know, he was, you know, much older and it seemed like a, a really good game master. Um, I was, you know, as a player, I was in my head and I was just like, oh, okay, this is, I'm playing a vampire. So like, I am a vampire now in this game. I remember you could pick all the clans and I was like, not sure which one, cause they all sounded so cool. Um, I think I picked Toreador just because I've always liked art and thinking of myself <clears throat> as an artist and a creative person. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's the kind of vampire I want to be. And around that time, I was into like Anne Rice, did my Anne Rice novels, like Interview the Vampire. Um, and of course, vampire movies like The Lost Boys, Fright Night, and Dracula, and all that stuff. So, it was oh, like, yeah. yeah, right up my alley. I just loved it. And I remember bringing it home then and playing with my friends, even friends that weren't really into Dungeons and Dragons and wanted, they would play something that they liked more than Dungeons and Dragons. So I kind of got them into Vampire. And I had a couple other friends that were obsessed with horror movies and vampires like myself. And so we would play that like all summer and then into the next year and probably the year after that. Um, so, and I just wanted to do something like that, but different, you know, I wanted to tweak it, put my own spin on it. Um, I was going to go with a D20 or no, sorry, D10, like the original Vampire the Masquerade. But then I realized that's just too much like what they already did. You know, I've already got my home system. Why don't I just convert it to D6? And then there were fans of the games I, uh, that I have already created that were like, oh, why don't you do it with that? So that's kind of compatible. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I should do that. So, um, yeah, it's like D6 Dice Wolves, just like the other games. Um, it's really open-ended and just kind of big, I guess. For a lot of people, that's like a bug. But I, I hope that some people find it a feature. Um, I know with Vampire the Masquerade, there's so much meta plot 
what I would call baggage and just like so many rules. And I feel like soon after the first edition came out, like the second edition just kind of jumped the shark. Um, wow. You feel like the second edition jumped the shark? Well, uh, uh, if, if there was one moment where I'm like, nope, gone too far. It was some sort of vampire offshoot or something. This, this creature, I want to say salubri. I don't even know if that's right. Uh, with three eyes. Yeah, that's a salubri. Okay. The moment I saw that and I read the description, I'm like, okay, Vampire the Masquerade. When the the game that I originally took home and fell in love with, that's gone now. Now I either have to like pretend I'm still living in that world, or I have to embrace this new world of vampire, or I just have to like shut the door and just go away. Um, and which one did you do? I kept I kept going with it um, because I was young and. You know, like a lot of people, I believe, like, oh, well, if it's the second edition, that means it has to be better than the first edition. And if there's a third edition, that means it has to be better than the second edition. Because progress always moves forward. No one ever goes back <laughs> or does something dumb because, uh, oh, you know, man. That's, yeah, that's the naivete of youth. Indeed. And uh, so, yeah, I fell into that. Um, but back then, I was like, Oh, that's okay. That's, I guess. But deep down, I was thinking like, "Oh, that's so stupid." But <laughs> I, I, with my rational mind, wouldn't let me process <laughs> it, like, you know, the heresy of like me trashing the game that I love because they stepped in a cow pie. <laughs> it's it's funny that you <laughs> use the word heresy because. Um... Like that's that's such a I, I know that exact feeling of of it being like this heresy where where it's like speaking against the game is somehow heretical, you know? Yeah. You feel like you're betraying something or someone. Yeah. Um which is silly because it's a fucking game and it's yours, you bought it. You can do whatever you want with it. And most role playing game books say that right there somewhere. Rule well, zero, you know. You I'm pretty sure that that want. game it's, said it somewhere in the front. I think it, so, yeah. Yeah. But it, at the same time, I was afraid of doing that because I don't even know why. It's just because people are programmed to listen to authority or something. I don't it, even know. It's this, it's, it's, it was something very weird about that game that it created this kind of religious fervor in its followers because the same thing happened to me and my group where we... We um well first of all we came in in the second edition and we consider the second edition to be the glorious heady days that will never be outdone even though it did have stupid stuff in it like the salubrium we were never much into the salubrium we never cared much for things like the ravnos and whatever and we were kind of like we kind of rolled our eyes and went along with certain things but we mostly just ignored the shit that we didn't really care about right but we were still like super fucking slavish about like oh my god this. You know, if it said that that uh, you know Hardestat died in 1197 or whatever, that's the, that that's the year it happened. You know, and we would spend time researching this crap. It was so strange looking back on it, right? <laughs> yeah, 
It's it's like yeah, it's like a religion. I think there's. I mean, I know that there are so many. Just to take one example: Christians out there, they're like, oh yeah, I'm gung ho about God and the Bible and all this stuff, but maybe there's a couple aspects here and there, like the no sex before marriage or whatever, uh, where they're like, eh, I just kind of ignore that. Like, I love it and uh, I'm all for it, but. I'm just gonna pretend that this here doesn't exist. Or <laughs> we just don't talk. We just don't talk about this section over here, where you know you're, you're dashing the baby's heads on the rocks with your energy. Right, right. You, you just kind of go that part because we love this part over here so much that we just you know out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, yeah. We just tear that page out of a book. So so, uh, how long did you uh, play Masquerade then? Um, from '91 until uh, let's see, I started college in '93, and I remember introducing some of the guys that were on my dorm room floor to Vampire the Masquerade, uh, even though they were not the role playing game type. Uh, they still tried it. They were game, you know, uh, we played like two or three sessions, maybe. Um, I played with another group, just like a one-off, uh, played some Dungeons Dragons too, but the, and that weren't even worse actually. So that, all, that was like second edition back in the early nineties. Yeah. That was the AD and D with yeah. the old hardcovers. Yeah. The, yeah. The second edition, AD and D. And, um, by then it was probably second edition. Vampire the Masquerade. Um, something about the college experience, um, I did play a little bit. I know some people, like, those are their gaming years. Like, you know, in college, they're hardcore in the gaming. I dabbled a little bit, but really college for me was kind of uh, a dark period for role-playing games. Um, after that first year, I don't know, I probably maybe played a handful of times, sophomore through senior year. And then after that, I picked it up again, um, probably with third edition, because that was huge, obviously. Yeah. In 3.5. And then I even tried fourth edition. And after trying that, um, and I think Pathfinder, I was just like, you know what? I don't think I like role-playing games anymore. Maybe I'm just growing out of it. I don't know. Um, something just felt totally wrong. And, like, totally, I grew out of it or it lost its magic or something happened. And then I kind of discovered the old-school renaissance through blogs and people talking online and things like that. I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's it. Uh, so I'm going to give that one more try. And um, so I wrote this adventure and use the old school rules that were, you know, floating around or that I had in like basic D and D at home. Um, and I was like, I, I knew ahead of time, like if this doesn't work, then I'm just done with it. You know, I'm just going to move on to other things like poker and womanizing or something. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, so sure enough, like, I, I fell in love with the game again. I was like, yeah, it's, it's the fact that it went from old school, what we know is old school, D&D, &D, uh, to whatever this new stuff is. And the new stuff 
just beat me heap the game. And uh, so then I was like, okay, well, that, that, that was the problem. And so I went totally old school and got really deep into that and realized that it wasn't just one or two little rule tweaks that made something old school or new school. It was like a whole different vibe and approach to the game and a philosophy and, a, and aesthetic. It was like night and day. And so I went totally old school and never looked back. So could you tell us a little bit about your uh, philosophy? What's, what's your philosophy for design and for old school gaming? Uh, one of them is that the rules should kind of fade in the background. Um, and if, if there's some sort of anticipation or fun in rolling or using some sort of rule or mechanic to, to do something, um, then that's great. Uh, but the simpler, the better. And if the game becomes so much about the rolling and the figuring out of the system and how to game the system and things like that, then it becomes less about an immersive experience into whatever world you're trying to convey. It becomes more about just rules and, and numbers and things like that. When I, when I look at a book, like if I'm a, uh, a convention or a, like a used bookstore, and I flip through some random role-playing game that I've never seen before. Yeah. And all I see is just like pages of, of numbers and formulas and mechanics and tables, random tables with not uh, words, but numbers. So I guess they wouldn't be random tables. They'd be like charts with like mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, number matrix, matrixes and whatever else. That just is like a complete turn-off. Like... That's like, you know, um, I don't know, like a, you, you see a girl and she's like, oh, yeah, she's pretty attractive. And then you look down and she's got, like, hairy legs. Like, no! Shut the door. Nope. Done. On to the next. <laughs> That's just, like, such a turnoff. Like, all those numbers and I, just, I can't go that way anymore. That's, that's not what role-playing means to me. Uh, to me, it's about immersion into a certain world and being there, you know, and that's what I try to do as a game master. So I try to give people situations and experiences of, like, being there. Like, if they were that character in that world, like, what would that be like? And, uh, and yeah, that's... Um, so you kind of got to go rules light, I think, I think, for me, because... Like I said, too much system just gets in the way and problem. Yeah. And that's the last thing I want. So uh, do you have like a regular group then that you get to run for? Or do you get to that you get to play in? Uh yeah, I have a regular group. Um I created like a local meetup thing just to make it easier to not only find people but schedule games. Uh, and so yeah, there's like ten people. Uh, but since we're all in that 30s and 40s age range, um, if I ask 10 people, maybe I'll get four or five on a particular day or night. Sure. Uh, just because 
a lot of people are busy with, with different things. Uh, so there's like an, a, a revolving door of like the same people uh, that, uh, that I game with. But at conventions, I can game with brand new people that I've never met before, which is cool. So I love to run games at conventions uh, just for that reason. And when you do run games, what do you run? Do you run uh, Alpha Blue primarily, or do you run um, Crimson Dragon Slayer, or have you have you had a chance to uh, run uh, Blood Dark Thirst for many people? Um, I've only run Blood Dark Thirst three times, and those were all kind of limited playtest sessions um, that were fun, but at each point. I realized that things were flawed and <laughs> there were too many imperfections to to let it go and I needed to make revisions and, and do like that. So the playtesting really helped. Um, I've never playtested it in a, in a com- totally completed form. Like I got close with the last playtest but then I realized that there were several things that I did care for and I needed to I'm sorry. No, oh, I was just going to say, the first time I'm going to be running that Blood Dark Thirst uh, for real is going to be at GaryCon. I've already signed up to run that. Oh, so good. That's going to be the first public game uh, of that. I, I found out about Blood Dark Thirst too late to get the beta rules. Like, the beta had already closed. Um... But it seemed like you got a pretty healthy number of uh, playtesters via that. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Like, a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, it's perfectly awesome, as is. Um, so I guess I could have left it in its original incarnation with, like, the D10 and a whole bunch of other different stuff than it turned out. But... You know, um, even though other people liked it, I was like, you know what? It could be better or just different. And so I kept working on it and kept working on it. And it was really difficult. Maybe that's because I had high expectations or that's because I hadn't done gaming like that in a while or vampires like a different beast than um, a regular role-playing game. And I had to actually put it down a couple of times and, like, not work on it for a while because I was just stumped and, like, I didn't know which direction to go. And it was, I don't know, it was weird. What, what was uh, one of the problems then, that was stumping you? Um, I guess the the problem of, like, okay, you're a vampire. Like, now what? Yeah. Like... Being a vampire, vampirism is not like a profession. Like you are a vampire, and then that—that's like just a part of who you are. And then there's, there's like a whole other more stuff to go. Uh, another stumbling block was I didn't know if I should if I should lean into like the, the comedy, like humor, parody angle or if I should just go straight for like traditional horror type vampirism 
or if I should do like a combination of both somehow. Um, and I was torn. Uh, I, I really didn't know which direction to go to. And I, you know, if I went into making it like a comedy, like I realized that everything would have to be altered over the bit. And I didn't know if that was the kind of game that I wanted to, to run and and uh, publish. Um, I was attracted to that idea, but I didn't know if that was the right uh, that was the right choice. Uh, so I was kind of hesitant about that. Um, I ended up just mainly going for regular, straight, traditional vampire stuff. Um, but it's so rules like that I think with the right group and uh, like a couple tweaks, it can be made into something like what we do in the shadows. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Like, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like um, vampire games can become what they do in the shadows without much difficulty, just to, by accident, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. kind of like that meme where they have. Uh, it says it has a picture of the Lord of the Rings guys on the top, and it says every D and D campaign begins like this, and then underneath it, it's like Monty Python, the Holy Grail, and it says and ends like this. You know, I mean, that there's something about like the nerdish mindset that it like loves kind of weird self-referencing humor, and like on a long enough timeline, people start building in these kind of in jokes. Unless, unless I feel like the game pushes back against it, you know. Yeah, I part of it's me. Um, the way I run games, just my personality, and the the friends that I gravitate towards are also you usually have a good sense of humor. We just kind of have fun and make fun of stuff and joke around, and that's just the kind of games that that come out of our gaming group and our experiences. And for some of it's us or me. Uh, I tend to, to run this kind of game because that's who we are. Uh, it's, it's difficult to go back. Um, you know, even the vampire thing, you know, I was trying to play it traditional and it just kind of became <laughs> towards, you know, towards like that, even before the halfway point. It just became like, a farce. Uh, it was a good time. Everyone was having a great time, uh, like hamming it up and you know making fun of themselves and uh, going gonzo and things like that. Um, so my experiences are skewed, and I know that because it's, it's hard for me to do anything else. It's hard for me to to play it like dark and serious. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of dark things I do with my games. Like dark things and tentacles and you know, uh, weird, crazy, anything to do with the Necronomicon or Lovecraft. But uh, but there's a lot of humor in it too. And yeah, it's hard for me to just play it serious all the time because um, I either I or one of the other players starts cracking jokes or sees things with a comedic eye, and then. By then, it's it's all over. It's like a downward. <laughs> That's it, right? Um, yeah, Monty Python on it. 
<laughs> I think that uh, I read in Blood Dark Thirst that um, it's for campaigns, I think it says, of up to like five to seven sessions. Is that right? Yeah. Um, originally, I was going to have, with the experience, a, like, because this is what I do in Alpha Blue, like at the end of every session, you level up to the next thing. So you don't have to keep track of experience points or whatever. Um, and then with each level, you get incrementally better. Not like most character-driven or level-based games, uh, like in D&D, where you know, every level is like a paradigm shift for your character. You're like exponentially like more awesome. Like with Alpha Blue, you get some more hit points and maybe one other thing, depending on your character. And that's basically it. Um, so it's somewhere between um, uh, D&D and like Call of Cthulhu, where besides a couple skill points, you don't get any better. You just are who you are <laughs> for the life of your character. Um, you don't get more often. So I try to find a middle ground there between that. and But then a couple people mentioned it, that, like, wait a minute, if you're playing a vampire and after every session you're getting, like, a little bit better, like you gain a new power or something like that, um, what about the vampires that have been alive for, like, hundreds of years? Like, you know, if you're, if you play 20 sessions and then you're, like, 20th level of vampire, and then what if you're up against, like, a 500-year-old vampire that, you know, if 20 sessions is, like, the max, like, level, if 20th level is the max, like, there's a huge discrepancy there, or cognitive dissonance, dissonance. It doesn't make any sense. I'm like, crap, you're right. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. I should fix that. So I came up with the idea of, like, oh, well, you level after a campaign. Yeah, a campaign is, like, a small amount of, like, linked adventures for a period of time. So you play, like, a campaign, and that's maybe within a few weeks or a few months of each other. And then after that's over, if you play with the same characters again, like another campaign later, that's supposed to be, like, years in the future. Or, I guess, in the past, if you wanted to go back or, you know, whatever. Okay, I mean, because that, 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 I find that exciting, because uh, when I initially read it, I was like, I was like, damn, Avengers like only wants me to play my character for like five sessions. I'm like, that you know, to me that was kind of a bummer because I was like part of what I always associated with playing vampire was this kind of long, drawn out cultivation of the character where you tell tell stories that last hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But what you're saying is is that system is in there. It's just that each campaign is supposed to be linked and that you're and that the and that the character advancement is just very gradual. Right. That's that's what I was trying to get at. Um I mean you don't really need an experience system at all if you don't want to. I mean right. you can just keep the characters as is. Um and that's just one way of leveling characters if you wanted to do that that I suggested um, with the whole campaign that are like a plateau and then it goes to a whole different plateau than with like a second campaign or a third one um, but uh, yeah you can just keep playing the same character or whatever um, 
also is just in my lifestyle where I'm at with my gaming. Like, there's no way I could play uh, a long-term campaign with like the same characters or the same people for like weeks or months on end. I think like ten sessions of a campaign is like the longest I've had to run uh, in years, just because I am where I am in my life. That's all my lifestyle can sustain. Uh, I know other people are lucky enough to, you know, keep going and play for for years with like the same characters or the same group or the same campaign setting or role playing game. But my thing is like constantly changing and evolving, and you know, uh, sometimes I've got to take a three or four month break. You know, if I have another kid or something like that, <laughs> and there's just no time for gaming. And so um, I just take it one big, one one game at a time. I can't uh, I can't even think about what it would be like to use these long campaigns. Um, maybe when I'm much older or you know, semi-retired or something, I could do that. But I just can't see it right now. So <laughs> it's difficult for me to write that in, write for that type of thing because that's just so far away from where I'm at right now that I, it's hard for me to even. Imagine. Do you find that that has kind of like sharpened your focus and your storytelling style? Yeah, I think it, the limited nature of the gaming I do have means that every adventure, like every session, uh, has to be really great for me to appreciate it or else I feel like, you know, it's a waste of my time or it's a waste of the player's time if it's not awesome. If it's not awesome, I just, you know, either why bother doing it or that was a waste of like several hours that could have been awesome but wasn't because of some dumb reason. So maybe that's why I look even more carefully at the games I run and the adventures I write or the adventures I run from books that I have. Um, and I try to get the most out of it. And anything that just is lagging behind or it's like an anchor that's dragging things down, I just like cut it loose because uh, time is too precious to just waste on something where like, oh yeah, that was okay. You know, because it might be, it might be a month, it might be two months before I can game again. So it's all got to count, and it's all got to be awesome, or else I'm gonna feel like crap, and I'm gonna be kicking myself because it's ultimately, if I'm running the game, it's ultimately my fault that it wasn't awesome. And uh, so, yeah, I look back on each session, I'm like, oh. Was that good or was that not good? Like, how could I may have made that more often? I try to learn from that and, uh, you know, improve my games. Uh, because, yeah, it's, it's important to get it right and to look deeply into, you know, not only the structure but the presentation and the inner workings and nuts and bolts. You got to 
sometimes you got to look really close at things in order to see if they're working or not working or how to make them work better, even if they're working okay. Like sometimes if it's broke, don't fix it. But sometimes, even if it's not broke, but it's not that awesome, there's some way to crank it up to 11 and make it awesome. And yeah. You owe it to yourself to do that if you love gaming because, you know, why not have a better time than you're having? I mean, that just makes sense. So when you uh, are running, like, a, a vampire game, Blood Dark Thirst or a different kind of horror game, what's your environment like? Or do you do a lot of music and do candles and lights off and that stuff? Or do you, are you playing in an FLGS? Or, like, what's what's kind of set the stage for me? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm doing something like Vampire or Call of Cthulhu or something towards horror. Um, I definitely like a quiet setting, um, kind, of like a, kind of like a, a dimly lit room or a darkened room. Candles are awesome uh, for mood lighting or some sort of ambient lighting uh, with candles. Um, music is good. Sometimes I put on a dark ambient CD because uh, I'm old. I still buy and play CD. Um, <laughs> And, yeah, I'll just put it on repeat or something like that. Or if I have, like, two or three different ones, you know, I'll take the old TV out and I'll put the new one in and push play. Uh, so, yeah, like, give you that vibe and, you know, yeah, up the horror experience. Cool, um, cool. Yeah, not always, but, yeah, I generally like to for a horror game because, you know, that gets you more in the mood for horror. Um, I kind of was going to do that with the last Blood Dark Thirst game, and I ended up not. I think I had, like, oh, get candles, like, on my mental list of things to do. And of course, I either forgot or ran out of time. And you know, you know, man, I, I was running a uh, vampire-type game just this weekend, and uh, get candles was on my list of things to do. I even made it to the grocery <laughs> store to get, like, water and stuff for my friends, and candles just completely slipped. So it's yeah. always on the yeah. list and always forget. Yeah, it's not like this, like something you you regularly buy. Like, oh yeah, I gotta get milk, <laughs> eggs, candles, obviously. Um, well, so I find too like if I don't do it on a regular basis, it's it's not part of my brain mo, and so my brain is just like, nope. <laughs> yeah, right. The nineties are over. The the candles are no longer on the grocery list. Um. So, uh, one one last question for you before we kind of wrap things up here. I just, I, uh, why, why now? Why did uh, did um, Blood Dark Thirst come about now? What 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 about the current role playing environment brought this into being? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, I guess. Um, the, the newest edition that they kind of workshopping with an open play test of uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Like, they're going back to, you know, the Vampire the Masquerade, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it's kind of going back to, if it's a nostalgia thing, like going back to, like, oh, old school roots or, you know, but it's, it's not like they're 
making a retro phone or redoing it. But the new version is supposed to be more like the old version or something, or I don't know. Maybe this they're taking the best best parts of old school Vampire the Masquerade and Vampire the Requiem. I don't know. But there's a, a new edition that they've been playtesting openly. You can read some of the rules and whatever. And there was one adventure. I think it's the first one. And it has some really bad stuff in it, like your characters, like the cleric, the, um, the player characters that are created for you. I'm blanking on what that's called. Uh, like the pre-generated characters, I guess. Yeah. Um, they're bad people, and which is fine, but then they kind of dipped into like, oh, well, you know, you feed off of children, and you like, sometimes killing children and maybe possibly sometimes like sexually molesting children. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I don't even know why that's in there or why anybody would want to play that game. That's, that's right out. Like I'm unsubscribing to that shit now. Um, and, uh, but I'm thinking like, that's really too bad because, I could see what they were doing and they came up with some cool stuff about with the new edition. And I'm like, Oh, if it wasn't for this stuff, that'd be pretty cool. Then I'm thinking like, Oh, but if I was doing it, I would do it more like this. Yeah. So I kind of came up with my own house rules and, and posted them on a blog post. And I was, you know, I was proud of them because I think they had, they worked. And uh, showed them to some people, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. And, uh, I, but, so, and, you know, the nostalgia kind of got to me, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'd really love to play a Vampire the Masquerade again. That would be really cool. Um, but then the, you know, the whole child stuff, endangerment, I was like, so not cool. And I'm like, well, why don't I just create my own version? But, you know, I'll change it enough where it's not, you know, I'm not infringing on them. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. Uh, but it's similar. Well, I like that kind of, like, and horizontal that's, that's, take. That's pretty much where I came from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, I, I, I like that you no, weren't kind of like waiting for them to uh, tell you where to go. You know, you saw where you wanted to go and you went there. You know, I think I think that that's like a cool opportunity that we have now in this in this new world of self-publishing and stuff, right? Yeah, definitely. So, so you're talking about maybe taking uh, Blood Dark Thirst to Kickstarter? Oh, um, no. I mean, no, it's, it's done. So oh, it's done, done. Okay. I don't need to do that. Um, maybe, uh, maybe I would try using Kickstarter to fund. Like a scenario or something. Oh, okay. Um, or, or, I don't know, or some sort of source book or something like that, or, or a combination of both, uh, or some sort of campaign setting. I can see that. I, I probably will do that at some point. Um, um, but, yeah, I, uh, I paid for the arts and the layout and all the other expenses just out of my own pocket because I'm like, 
Well, I think it'll sell pretty well, well enough for me to get reimbursed for the money I put into it. And um, I probably have nearly that so far. Um, oh, good. It's out, yeah, it's been out for less than a month. Wow. And it's, it's been pretty good. I mean, it, for a while it was like number three or number four on most popular under $5 thing on through RPG. Um, I don't know if it's fallen off. I think just yesterday it fell off the radar. For a little while, it was hanging on at like number 23, number 24 of like the, the top list. Um, it only goes to 30, I think. And uh, just yesterday, I believe, it like <laughs> fell off the page and it, you know, after 30, and so now it's gone. But for the last Three three weeks or so, it has been on there, so I've been doing pretty well. Um, how to or wait, what's it called? Um, adventure writing like a fucking boss is still up there. It's still on the um, I think it's like number twelve or thirteen on that list. Of top Good, under five dollar one. That's yes. cool. Um, but that's still going. But yeah, blood dark thirst. Um, yeah, I had a good initial showing, and so it made a decent amount of money, enough where I'm not in the hole for all the money I spent, you know, making it. So I feel that's a win. Yeah, I got to say, man, that's that's like a win right there, right? Yeah. And, yeah, it's got some nice reviews. Um, a lot of people like it. I like it. So, yeah, I feel successful in that way, too, because I think it's a cool game. And it doesn't try to reach too far, um, but yet I think it's ambitious enough where it tries to do some cool things, like a limited amount, but some cool things, and it succeeds. Um, because it's got, I don't know, its own take no prisoners vibe. You know, it, it doesn't make apologies for, like, what it wants to be. Uh, it, it goes in a certain direction and it just like goes all out and then it stops when it's done. <laughs> it doesn't try to be all things to all people, which, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of. And it doesn't try to nearly focus too much on like one or two little things. Um, it's general enough where you can do kind of whatever you want with it, but in this one arena, like don't try to I don't know, like marry it with My Little Pony or something because that won't work. <laughs> I mean, I th uh, one of the things I, I love about it is how tight it is. I mean, it's very and it's very quick. It's just very get up and go. You could like be just sitting around the shop with your friends and be like, who wants to play Blood Dark Thirst? And like within 10, 15 minutes you could be playing, you know? Just go. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's what I like about it. Um, especially with the limited time that I have now, like I think a two-hour game is can sometimes be just about perfect. Yeah. And, you know, you get in there, you play, you get out, get on with your life, and you have that great two-hour experience, which is about the same as a movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, you wouldn't sit in the movie theater uh, for, like, four hours um, watching this giant, like, epic, at least not too often. Um, and that's kind of what the uh, role-playing game is. 
at least for me these days, it's like like being in a movie. And that's what I want from it, because that's why I watch movies, is because I can feel like I'm a part of it. I'm, like, inside the movie, like, living vicariously through these characters. And then after the movie's done, um, you know, I can go on with my life. I've really been finding that, like, uh, shorter, more frequent sessions are better now that I'm an adult. You know, like um, like the nine-hour, ten-hour marathon. That's been over for years. But at this point, I'm like, if I hit the three-hour mark, I always I feel satisfied at three hours. I'm ready to go home, you know? Yeah, it's... it's uh, with the gaming I do now, the, the games I like to run now, it's hard to sustain. There's, like, so much I put into it. Uh, it's hard to do more than three hours in a sitting because, you know, I feel like I naturally put in a beginning, a middle, and an end, and there's just a natural flow and rhythm and progression. And then once you get past the three-hour mark, it almost feels like, oh, well, now we're forcing it like an extra hour because we've scheduled an extra hour to play. Um, Yeah. Same thing with convention games. Um, once it's gone beyond three hours, maybe three hours and 15 minutes, you, it just feels to everybody like it has naturally run its course. Um, not in the way that, like, oh, well, we're sick of this by now. But um, you feel like you've had that great experience. You, you've gotten the highs and the lows and the dramatic conclusion and everything has been all tied up, uh, narratively speaking. And it just feels like it's done, like a great, you know, two- or three-hour movie. Um, you don't want, like, a whole hour-long, like, director's cut bonus scene, <laughs> whatever, on the, you know... You would watch The Godfather and then like, oh, here's an hour of an hour of bloopers like at the end because <laughs> we need to fill up time. You know, it's like it is what it is and it, it feels perfect and just like leave it alone because anymore it would get too heavy and it would it would ruin it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Venger, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on today. Thanks a lot, man. Sure. Thank you for putting up with my rambling. But no, then, no, this is great. It's always great. I don't know when to quit. Do you do you want to tell the listeners where they can find your material? What where's where's the good spot sure. to find your stuff? Uh, you can pretty much find everything that I'm doing and all the products at uh, Benger's Old School Gaming Blog. That's my blog spot home, and it's got like pretty much all the products on the sidebar. And it's got a link to draconicmagazine.com. And I update it with things that are going on in my gaming life. Um, I got opinion pieces and sometimes reviews and uh, sometimes announcements about uh, what I'm releasing or what I'm going to release or sometimes I have polls, you know, or sometimes I just talk about the nature of gaming. So, yeah, I... Go to my website, Benjamin's Old School Gaming Blog, and uh, check that out. You know, I update it regularly, at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. So, 
Awesome. And I'll make sure that there's a link to that in the show notes so people can find that easily. In the meantime, uh, Blood Dark Thirst is on DriveThruRPG. It's four bucks. Am I right? Um, I, I think, I think four or five days ago I lowered it to three bucks. Maybe oh, a week my ago. goodness! I, I can't remember. My um, goodness, well, that's a steal, guys. So you should get your asses over to drive through and download a copy of uh, Blood Dark Thirst for three bucks. I mean, Jesus, you you couldn't you couldn't even buy a cheeseburger for that, and I guarantee you, you'll get way more use out of Blood Dark Thirst. That's right. Yeah, it looks pretty too, and it's, it's pretty much full color. I mean, there's some images that are black and white. But then they've got like that splash of red mm-hmm. for the blood, and yeah, um, yeah. I I spared no sense with the interior art, and Glenn Seal did an awesome job with the layout, making it look all fancy and gorgeous. So, you know, hats off to all the artists that helped make it look awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, again, Venger, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we appreciate you, and. Um I'll let you know when this gets uh, posted. All right, man? Cool. Sounds great. Cool. And Avenger Satanis for coming on the show, making the time to talk to me. I mean, I really can't overstate to you guys what a pain in the ass it was for him to meet my schedule and to do the work around so that we could have the conversations. So I really want to thank him for being so flexible and uh, meeting up with me for the interview and getting it done. Um, a couple links in the show notes if you're interested in his work or his blog you can find it there Uh, the next one we have coming up is Christopher Gray an interview I did with him uh, over Thanksgiving weekend in Los Angeles sunny Los Angeles, California so uh, stay tuned for that that'll be coming up soon and this week I am interviewing Jamie from Calcium Rex in Sunderland, UK so he'll be making his debut on the show uh, that, in addition, we have a brand new episode coming out on the 15th. So a lot of episodes coming out. Sorry it's been so spare. Thank you very much for joining me. Have a good night. <laughs>